Good morning. Let's just pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all that you are always doing and for what, how you call us to be involved. Thank you for Kale and Susie and for their many years of service in Cameroon and for uh, our partnership with them, that we were able to support them and pray for them and hear from them and, and be involved <clears throat> from here in what you are doing uh, in Cameroon. And we pray for the continued ministry that's happening there, our continued involvement as well um, with the support of the Grobs who are, are still there. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would guide Cal and Susie and what's next for them. And uh, Father, we just thank you that you are always at work and you invite us in. And we pray for your ears to hear what you want us to do, for that, that we would just be aware of, of how you are leading us. Uh, so Father, as we, as we jump back into Mark, uh, we pray that you would um, challenge us, invite us, um, and that we would just be so grateful and uh, praise you for all that you are and all that you do. In your name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, I'm Pastor Jeff, <clears throat> and uh, we are continuing in our study of Mark, which is nearing its end. I grew up in a house with a scary staircase. Has anybody else grew up in a scary staircase, yeah? Well, it actually was only scary when I was alone, or if I was the last person coming up the stairs, with uh, whoever was down there in the basement with me. And that, in fact, there was nothing wrong with the stairs. My dad built them, my dad built the house. It was solid, they were fine. It was, uh, it was the lighting. When I went to go up the stairs, I had to turn off the light switch at the bottom, which turned off all the lights downstairs and there was one light bulb at the top of the stairs to lead me up the stairs. So when I turned off the, the lights at the bottom of the stairs, darkness was behind me, and it felt like that darkness chased me up those stairs where I would finally get at the top to safety at the top floor. I got really good at accelerating up those stairs very fast because that darkness, it terrorized me. I still have moments where I'm afraid of the dark, a few years ago, I led some, uh, I took a group of adventurous teens and, and a couple capable youth leaders into a cave system near Chilliwack. I've been in caves many different times and I've gone through tight squeezes and knew that I could handle that and uh, I knew what we needed. So we had our helmets, we had our headlamps, we had dirty clothes on and uh, we went through some tight spaces and I was fine. But when we got to an open area of the cave, I noticed that my headlamp was starting to dim. I forgot to bring uh, extra batteries. And some, some of the teens that were with us uh, found this, this tunnel that they wanted to explore, and I was the leader, so I had to go first. And so I squeezed into that tunnel, and my headlight was growing dimmer. And something began to happen in my body that didn't happen before. My heart rate began to accelerate. My breathing began to quicken. 
and my thoughts became irrational. I was having a panic attack. And this moment became a really big learning opportunity for me. See, I didn't understand anxiety very much. And it gave me a lot more empathy for people who struggle with anxiety. Bigger than that, more regularly than that. It also gave me an appreciation of the dark. We don't really know what real darkness is very much in normal life. It's difficult for us to get away from the light, even if in the nighttime, because there's the lights of the city, or there's stars, or there's the moon, it's really hard to really experience darkness. But in a cave, when you turn off your headlamp, or when your headlamp starts to die, the darkness is almost tangible. It feels like it's pressing in all around you. There have been studies that have been done about what happens when people experience darkness for an extended time. It's, it's not surprising that it can affect your biological clock, your waking and sleeping schedule is altered. The darkness can distort or muddle your emotions. It can also affect us mentally. It can cause hallucinations or not thinking clearly or making poor decisions. It can also affect us morally. In Mark 15, 33 through 39, where we find ourselves this morning in our study of Mark, the darkness is overarching. Jesus hangs on the cross in the middle of the day, yet everything is dark. And this darkness is profound because it's a physical impossibility in the middle of the day without some sort of miracle. And it's a revealing metaphor for all that's happening with Jesus on the cross. Last week, we looked at verses 16 through 32, right before this, where Jesus had been flogged. He was whipped with leather strands that were woven with bone and metal, excruciating. And then he was nailed to a cross, naked. He hung there, waiting to die in agony. But Mark, he skips over all this focus on the physical pain of Jesus. He just says he was flogged, he was crucified. He doesn't go into the details of how painful it is because he chose to focus on the ridicule and the mocking that Jesus endured on the cross, that he received from everyone around, the Roman soldiers, the sign that hung above his head, the people passing by, the chief priests and elders of the law, the rebels who hung by his side. Everybody was mocking him. He was psychologically socially, emotionally, and physically tortured. And that's where we pick up in Mark 15, verse 33. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark 15, 33 through 39, you can turn it on in your phone or, or open your paper Bibles, um, and we're going to read Mark 15, 33 through 39. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, 
The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Both physically and metaphorically, this text is a contrast between light and dark. At noon, when the sun is normally at its peak, darkness comes over the whole land. And there's been many attempts to try to explain away this darkness as some sort of natural phenomenon, like a solar eclipse. But I learned that the Passover during, is during a full moon and eclipses don't happen during a full moon. They happen during um, when the moon is new. Another attempt is that uh, there was some sort of sandstorm, yet this was the spring season, the wet season. This was a supernatural darkness that came over everything. Like the darkness of the ninth plague in Exodus chapter 10. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the new nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt and God called Moses to go and to lead the people out of slavery and God has a showdown with the Pharaoh, with the king of the land. Pharaoh acted as if he was God. And God proved that he was the true God by sending what our Bibles call plagues. The Nile River turned to blood. And then frogs came over the whole land. And you can read about 10 of these plagues that, that God sent in Exodus 7 through 11. Uh, but the ninth one, the penultimate plague was darkness. In Exodus, 21, 20, Exodus 10, verse 21, describes the darkness as if it's something that could be felt, squeezing in on you. Throughout the Old Testament, darkness, it's a symbol of judgment. Who's the one being judged in our text? We'll get back to that in a minute. Darkness is also a metaphor for spiritual blindness. Just like physical darkness disorients us, it makes us stumble and we get confused. We don't know where we are. Spiritual darkness makes us confused about the realities of God, the realities of right and wrong, good and bad. Psalm 84:11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. There are times like this in the Bible where God is compared to our sun the solar system center because in our solar system, the sun is the necessary light for life on the earth. God is the necessary light for all of life. He is the source of everything. So spiritual darkness is when we turn away from this light. When we focus on something other than God as our reference point, when we look to something other than God for our security or our provision or our comfort or our strength or our pleasure, if we look to anything other than God for light, for our life, then we enter spiritual darkness. We can see this spiritual darkness illustrated even in the text. In verses 35 and 36, the people, they heard Jesus cry out to God and they misunderstood him. They 
have been misunderstanding Jesus and they continue to misunderstand him because they are walking around in spiritual darkness. They didn't understand that Jesus is the Son of God who is offering himself to be the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices, that he went willingly to the cross, not because humans somehow forced him there, but because he went willingly and he was paying the ransom paying the price that all of our sinfulness and shame and guilt deserve. So when he cried out to God, the Aramaic word Eloi means God, they were confusing it with how they thought and they were thinking the Hebraic Elihu, which may sort of sound similar. So when he, they heard Eloi, they were thinking he was crying out to Elijah because they're in spiritual darkness and they think that he's calling out for rescue. They're still seeing things from their distorted point of view being in spiritual darkness. They think that he would be crying out to be rescued, that he wouldn't willingly die, that it would be through his death that he would gain victory over sin and shame and guilt and death. Elijah, he was a prophet, a prophet that didn't die but was taken up in a chariot of fire. You can read about this story in 2 Kings verse 2. And since he didn't die, there was this belief among the Jewish people that he, he was available to come and protect people and rescue them in times of crisis. So instead of understanding the truth of what Jesus was doing on the cross, they think he's crying out for rescue, so they offer him a drink for strength, and then they wait to see if Elijah comes. The thing is, what Jesus was doing on the cross was entering into our spiritual darkness. He was entering into what we experience. He suffered at the hands of our spiritual misunderstanding. In verses 16 through 32, we saw that he, he was alone. Everyone was torturing him. Everyone, was, uh, everyone who was spiritually blind was mocking him. And they didn't recognize that he is the true light, that he is life, that he is the almighty king, the king of the universe, the king of heaven and earth, one in essence with God. And verse 33 is so short that we, we can read over it and miss how profound it is. Darkness came over the whole land for three hours in the middle of the day. Jesus entered our darkness. Jesus was isolated, alone, as he entered that darkness. And the extent of the darkness goes beyond all the psychological and social and mental torture of all the mocking and the ridicule. It goes beyond the physical agony of the, of the flogging and of the crucifixion, the beatings, the nails hanging on the cross. Jesus' cry in verse 34 reveals the depth of pain that he was going through in our spiritual darkness that makes all this psychological, emotional, and physical pain feel like just an annoyance of a mosquito bite compared to what really crushed him. He was crushed in that darkness by the separation that he had with God the Father that had never happened before. His eternal Father, the one who had never had a negative thought towards him, who loved and protected and adored him, who called him his beloved son in Mark 1 at his baptism and at his transfiguration in Mark 9. The one who loved him forsook him, abandoned him. Jesus took the full weight 
of the penalty of our sin and our guilt and our shame upon himself all alone in that spiritual darkness. He entered our spiritual darkness and took it upon himself. He did nothing wrong. He took ours onto himself and he experienced our spiritual death. And not only that, he experienced separation with God the Father and the wrath of God the Father against all of that. He took all of that on himself alone. He was the one being judged in that darkness. The darkness that represents judgment, that was coming on him for us. He was being judged for the sinfulness of those who mocked him, those who misunderstood him. And for all of us who are spiritually blind, until we turn to to Jesus and recognize that he is the true light. And even in this infinite pain, Jesus trusted God. Notice what he said. He said, my God, my God. In the midst of that, he's still using relational language. When I talk about my and then name a person, it's somebody that's close to me. So I might say that about my wife, my Cheryl, or my kids, my Jack, or my Gabe, or my parents, or my brothers. But I don't say about somebody that I'm not in relationship with. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, even in the moment that he's being abandoned. And even more than that, he's quoting from Psalm 22. Psalm 22 begins with those exact words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it goes on to talk about, this Psalm 22 goes on to talk about being mocked and insulted, all things that Jesus had just gone through. Jesus, in his worst moment, is thinking biblically, thinking uh, scripturally. He's identifying with Psalm 22. It begins with grief over being mocked and insulted, but then it moves on from misery to delivery. And it talks about how all the families of the nations will bow down and turn to God. Jesus, in his worst suffering imaginable, he doesn't let go of trust. He's not not only abandoned by God the Father, he's suffering the full wrath of God the Father against sinfulness, the judgment that we deserve, and he's not thinking, woe is me, how can I stop this? The thing on his mind is scripture. Psalm 22, which begins with identifying with the abandonment and misery, but ends with the deliverance of humanity. He trusts that what God the Father's plan is going to happen. And in verse 37, he lets out a loud cry, and then he dies. Usually crucifixion ends with somebody becoming so weak that they can't breathe anymore. They wouldn't yell out in a loud shout, they would just stop breathing and die. In the other three Gospels, especially Matthew and John, there's an emphasis on Jesus giving up his spirit, deciding to die. Mark describes it as giving a loud cry and then dying. That's not what normally happens. So this centurion, this Roman officer who commanded 100 men, he was standing there and he sees the way Jesus dies. And whether it was this loud cry or what, what he had observed of how Jesus handled it, something in 
his mind clicks and he says, surely this man was the son of God. And this is remarkable because this is the first person who truly recognizes the identity of Jesus in a, in, with belief. He grasped what nobody else in the gospel had grasped so far, the true identity of Jesus. The centurion saw and understood what nobody else has comprehended. And it wasn't in any way that we would have thought. It wasn't through some miracle. It wasn't through some profound display of, of power. It was in the weakest moment of Jesus' life, the moment of his death. New Testament pastor and scholar David Garland says that it was in Jesus' powerless death that the centurion recognized that true power which was revealed in the cross is not coercive, exploitative, or manipulative. The power the centurion served, which is the Roman army, crushed others and transformed life into death. The power of the cross gives itself for others and transforms death into life. Who do you say Jesus is? It's a question that has been raised by Mark over and over again in our study. So far, he's wanting the readers to think, who do you say Jesus is? And the centurion finally answers this question. Someone on the outside, someone you wouldn't expect. He wasn't a religious leader. He wasn't a Jewish person. He wasn't one of Jesus' followers. He was, he was an enemy. Jesus died for absolutely anyone who would recognize that he is the true king, the son of God, the one who has the absolute power to forgive and give life. Well, there's another remarkable thing that happened, and that's in verse 38. The curtain of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. There were actually two, temp two curtains in the temple that Herod built, and they were both curtains that made distinctions, that made separations. They were barriers. They separated, they didn't unite. One of the curtains separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And the other curtain separated the temple where the Jewish men could be from the courts where the Gentiles and the Jewish women could be. Well, there's debate about which curtain this was referring to. Uh, some think it was the, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies. Some people think it was this curtain separating the women uh, from the Gentiles, or the, the women and Gentiles from the rest of the temple. And there's great reasons for, for either one of these curtains. I've usually thought of it as the curtain separating the Holy of Holies, but maybe, maybe this is part of what Mark does, what the Bible does, it makes us wrestle. The important thing is that a separation was broken. A uniting was happening. The separation between God and people was broken by the death of Jesus. Only one other time is the word torn used in Mark. And that's when the sky was torn open at Jesus' baptism in Mark 1. The Spirit of God came and descended into Jesus like a dove, and the voice of God the Father proclaimed that this is my Son whom I love. Heaven was breaking in. We noticed that when we studied that way back in Mark 1. The kingdom of heaven was breaking into the kingdoms of the world. The sky was torn. Here, the barrier between God and humans was physically and metaphorically ripped from top 
to bottom from God's point of view to ours because God has broken in and he has destroyed the barriers that separate. Because of the death of Jesus, everyone has access to God. Anyone can be forgiven. Because of the death of Jesus, the light has penetrated the darkness. And no matter what you have done, no matter who you are, no matter what's been done to you, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how pressing the darkness feels around you, Jesus has entered the worst of it. He took the punishment. He went through all of it alone so that you and I can see the light. And we can enter the light and we don't have to go through alone. He went alone for us so that we don't have to go alone through whatever we face. Jesus is the light. He enters the darkness and the darkness could not hold him down. He rose again and he welcomes all of us, any of us, into the light who will accept him. And when we do accept him, he not only shines his light on us, and for us, but he puts his light inside of us. We become part of the light that shines in the darkness. That's who we are, people who shine the light in the darkness. His light transforms us. His light burns away the darkness in our lives. And just like fire spreads from one candle to the next, We become a burning candle. And we offer ourselves to the candles around us that may not be burning yet. And we can spread that fire, we can spread that light. Our lives become changed so that people around us see something beautiful, just like people saw the beauty in Jesus and were drawn. They see something beautiful in us and they're drawn. Will you let, will you enter the light this morning? Will you delight in the light of Jesus the King? Will you let the light of Jesus transform you into a loving, joyful, patient, good, kind, beautiful invitation to anyone and everyone who cross your path? Let's pray. God, we are so blessed. We are so thankful for Jesus, the true light, the source of all light, the light, the life. God, we can enter that light. Many of us have entered that light. Many of us need to stop and consider again what that light is all about. Some of us are invited for the first time to enter that light this morning. Jesus, do in us what only the light can do, penetrate the darkness of our thoughts, of our emotions, of our actions, and transform us. Help us to be reflections of your light. We love you. We want to love you more. And we thank you that you love us more than we can possibly comprehend. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.